Ready? I'm so nervous. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast, the podcast where I remember what I am doing. And I freak out about everything I say. <laughs> My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm some guy. And every week we listen to some music from some games that we sometimes enjoyed at one point in our lives. <laughs> that's, that's the sticky wicket. <laughs> that's how we do it. No, every week we listen to great video game music from the past and the present and from all consoles and all generations of consoles. We just listen to everything. We just pick a, a topic and we dive into it. And it's a fun time to wish to do that, too, honestly. Mm. Feels nice, nostalgic, fun, vibrant, sunny, not quite tepid, warm. It was a nice day out today. Come on. It really has been. Like, it's uh, sunny and. I'm still trying, even at this late stage of my life, I'm still trying to determine what that perfect temperature is to be outside in. Like, not too warm as you that you're sweating all the time, but not too cold that you have to bundle up. And, like, I got in my car this morning. It was 59 degrees on the thermostat in the car. And I was like, this is way too cold. I better go get a coat. And I went and got myself, like, a hoodie or whatever. And then got to my destination, got out. And immediately took the hoodie right back off. I was like, "What? This is fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is good weather." We are in that in between phase of like, "What am I going to wear?" But we're getting so close to the cold, the cold weather that I can go ahead and just and run in the morning. It's like forty degrees in the morning. I can just run, 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 run. But like, I, for hours. But I do have one nice perk that I didn't realize until now, which is both a detriment but also not too bad. So last month in August, we had a tornado come through and one of the unfortunate side effects of that tornado is like a really cool tree that was in my backyard and got taken out by the tornado. Um, so there's no longer a tree back there. Downside, of course, is that now I don't have that canopy to provide shade and it's, it doesn't look as nice anymore and I lose the privacy that the tree gave me too. The positive though is that raking leaves will be borderline non-existent this fall. <laughs> That's right. Because I have no tree-dropping leaves in the yard. So that should be interesting. I might even be able to just get rid of my rake entirely. This will be a trip. Because um, like, they put in perspective, I used to fill like 30 bags of leaves yeah. for just a small backyard. That's what happened when we got rid of that tree in our corner. Um, this is tree talk with Robin Purnell. No, the, um, it, was, it, was, it was dying, and so we had to take it down. But like... It was dropping so many leaves our first year. It was just overwhelming. Um, and so now now it's just a nice little garden of uh, flowers. And fennel. And fennel. Lots of fennel. Delicious. Lots of bugs. Lots of good little bugs. And then the, then the storms came and knocked everything down. Brought to you by the Fire Nation. But yeah, right? So, um, like, any games that you've been playing as of late? Anything? Uh, what have I been playing? I haven't been, no. <laughs> I haven't been playing anything. Um, I've been wanting to get back into CrossCode a little bit, and I think that's lost me entirely. So I'm just waiting for some time where I can just dive into a new RPG, which would be... You know I'm looking. Know, I'm looking at them. Starts with a P, ends with an A. Starts with a P, ends with an Erona. <laughs> ends with an Ur- <laughs> Ursona. <laughs> Finally! I will, I will get into that, yeah. It took the Chris Murray backup... <laughs> <laughs> to finally convince him to try it. <laughs> um, no, I, I've been listening to a lot of music on my downtime. I've been listening to a lot of Falcom music, actually. The Falcom uh, music is stuff. It's just, the stuff, man. Like, I haven't played those games, but like Trails music and um, Legend of Heroes, all that stuff. It's just so much fun. I'm gonna good, good music. I'm officially going to make a playlist in Spotify for workout music, specifically mm. related to Falcom, because it hit me 
um, a couple days ago, I went to exercise and the person was disconnecting all the stuff for the night because they thought no one was going to show up and then boom, Purnell shows up and ruins their evening as I do. And um, <laughs> Ruins their evening? Oh yeah, because that's me preventing them from leaving 30 minutes earlier. Oh, I see. Because I see. if I show up, they can't close the doors. They got to let me exercise and then they got to clean up after me again and then they can go home. Right. Um, so that guy. I'm that guy. I'm the awful guy and I'm fine with it. Um, but... Uh, since they didn't have their usual music thing set up to play anymore, they're like, well, what do you want to listen to? And they had the Spotify up. And I was like, um, 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 I don't have a playlist to direct you to. So we'll just play Ease 8. Just, she's like, what? Just all like, of Ease 8. Just put Ease 8 on and put it on. And she plays, starts playing. It starts with, of course, Sunshine Coastline. She's like, oh, this sounds like a good thing for like oh, man. exercises high tempo. I'm like, yes. But then as they switched to tracks, it's like, like a mellow like campsite theme. And she's like, this isn't exercise. It's like, well, yeah, because I didn't make a playlist. Yeah. But it'll change. Don't worry. Over, do you just let it go? Just let it run. <laughs> um, every once in a while, though, she would actually walk over and skip a track if it seemed too low tempo. I was like, wow, she's invested in this OST now. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, she got to listen to it, too. But, oh, yeah. Sunshine Coastline is just one of the best. One of the best. I think it was my best of last year uh, list. It belongs the there. It's so it, good. It's, it's just... It comes on, and I'm like, oh, that's right. This it get, is good. It's, it's honestly one of the Falcom Sound Team's best tracks they've ever composed, so as far good. as I'm concerned. I, I do love that song. But like, aside from that, like, mm. I've also... I've been, I'm all over the place with the games, as I tend to be, but there's one that I'm going to be reviewing next week that I can't really get into because, you know, embargoes, but I can at least bring up what it is. And the game is called Going Under... It may not end up being a great game. I don't know yet. But what mm. I do know is the theme is pretty cool, which is that you are an intern going to work at a company called mm. Fizzle, which specializes in flavored carbonated waters. Okay. And by flavors, I mean like Szechuan sauce and oh. uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Like, like those crazy, Jones's. Yeah, those crazy Jones sodas I used to drink. Yeah. And as an intern there, like your job becomes... Mm going into dungeons and killing monsters oh, and it makes no sense <laughs> but the idea is that or the premise in the world is that uh, failed corporations get sent under oh like, that's oh they, do they they get sent to the dungeons or they become demons they become the dungeons and the demons like that's what that's what happens to failed corporations in this weird oh. dystopian society oh that it's, sounds cool and all the weapons that you use for the most part are office theme based. I was say, like, are they like the stapler of power? There like, actually is a stapler. Like, like you the, take the stapler, a broad stapler, like a broadsword. No, it starts out as a giant stapler, and when you you carry it around, like you're hugging it, and when you press it in, you fire staples until it runs out, and you start oh, smacking wow. with like the stapler. A, is it like an action game or? Oh, action! It, yeah, yeah. You run around, you beat the dudes up, you know, clear the room, open the sets oh. of rooms. I'm gonna look that up. That sounds really funny. It's I've I've been laughing at it. I like the premise of it a lot, but once to, I can't wait to actually get the full reviewing because I look I think it's the kind of game where like it's like where do you find creativity in a genre that's been beat to death? Mm -hmm. And it's like well there you go. This is some weird <laughs> mess. I'll play that. Um, well like I've been playing that, and I'm about to start this one game for review also where you are a girl who's going to like a prep school, mm -hmm. and she's in a D and D club. Okay, that sounds wholesome. Oh, it, well, it is. It's actually surprisingly wholesome. And there's like a bunch of like interactions that take place in the school. And you're making friends and stuff, but all the interactions is up becoming like D&D &D battles. Oh. So like <laughs> all the kids have classes and stuff yeah. like that. It's It seems cool to me and I'm looking forward to it. That's good. So, and then lastly, worth mentioning, I actually bought it. I'm looking forward to starting it. Um, I wasn't going to buy it at first, but a well, almost too well-placed PC Gamer article drew me to it. Mm -hmm. It's a game called Paradise Killer. 
And the idea, the reason why I bought it with the interest of giving it a chance Mm -hmm. is because their description was that it is them taking a crack at the detective game genre in a way that no one else has ever done it. And the description gives me the impression that they are succeeding at that as long as it's good. So what is it? Well, it's a guy who's inspired by the Danganronpa series. He designed a game where you're presented with an environment that you can explore and there's a murder mystery. However, you have there's tons of evidence you can locate and file and stuff. Colorful characters you can talk to. But mm. you can accuse anybody you want, <laughs> however you want, as long as you have the evidence to back it up. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to do it in a way where, like, you'll be like, okay, this guy had to have done it because I have this stuff. So you have all this evidence, but maybe, like, some of it's false or maybe you don't have the right evidence. Oh, that's interesting. You might be missing something, but you oh, thought wow. you had the case together. Can you imagine the, the writing on a game like that? Like, how many different, like, branching paths? Right? And, and that's what intrigued oh, me. It's like, cool. it's worth yeah. buying. And mm-hmm. then that, during the article, they also made a comment where, like, the guy was like, we burned through our savings account, so it's a good <laughs> thing we found a publisher. Like, they clearly were invested in this game so much. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I want to give this a chance. I don't even want to wait for it to go on sale. I'm just going to buy it. I like that. So I want to try this game, and I hope to have an understanding of it within like another week or two. Mm, that's exciting. So that's All the right. kind of stuff I look forward to. Right, um, so before we get started, I want to say that our next live stream uh, episode is going to be for our Patreon listeners. Oh, there's a little static i'm sorry for our patreon listeners it's going to be uh if it's okay with you pronounce thursday october 1st should be fine i think okay it's thursday october 1st um and our theme is going to be i don't think we have one. i don't think we have one yet but we're going to come up with one and we're going to talk about it at some other time maybe by the end of the episode it's just i gotta yeah, think about it yeah we'll think about it some more but it's gonna uh, but we'll have a theme so originally i'm not gonna lie i wanted to just double dip on smash because the last one was so fun we might do that again uh, that was a lot of fun you know, that was a uh, last our last live show was, was a whole lot of fun um are you hearing that static too a little pop a little pops yeah something's happening that's okay we're gonna let it go we're gonna let it all go for now um, so this week we are talking about um, influences, not influential classics, but the the games that influenced us or during influential times. In, yes, in our in our lives personally. And I'll be blunt, it was originally inspired by a meme that's been going around by a guy on Twitter, mm-hmm. where he originally postured he postured it as, you know, pick the most pick influential games from your childhood or youth or teen years. But not pretentious crap or something. And oh. I was like, well, I'm going to cut the last part out because I don't care about that. And I just want to talk about influential games. Now, it's interesting, too, because I took the question and put it on my Facebook page. And a lot of people answered it. And I really wish that some of the people put more details in regards to why they chose their answers. Because while some bid and others didn't. The vibe I was getting is that people took influential to mean different things. Mm-hmm. Like some people were like, I picked this game because it's so fun. Or yeah. I picked this game because, <laughs> you know, it's really popular. And I'm sort of thinking, but that's not, how is that influential in a sense of just being popular? Like there has to be more than that. There's tons of popular games, but is it truly influential? Is it influential to you or is it influential to the industry as a whole? Mm-hmm. Like where are you coming from here? So it's uh I think it's an interesting topic that's worth discussing beyond just here are my favorite games. Right, right. And in our last episode of Influential Classics, we also touched on games that influenced the genre or influenced the industry in, in some way. 
But this one's more of like a personal, personal thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's been going around on Twitter that I saw was uh, people would post like uh, video game maps or stages, and they would just say, "I grew up here." <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think it was Carlos. Uh, he posted uh, the, just the map of Symphony of the Night, this huge castle map, and it says, "I grew up here." <laughs> <laughs> the castle. Uh, that was funny. I got. It makes me want to look at that now because I know I can't say without even thinking about other stuff that the Symphony of the Night map is extremely influential mm-hmm. and inspiring to folks just by virtue of the whole inverted element that you can acquire oh, yeah. later in the game. Like everyone talked about that back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was not a niche thing. It I mean, was a that was a that was like playground topic. I mean the other thing was like just the scale of, of, of the game. I mean at a time when like everything was three D, you know, everything was everything was a three D adventure game or a three D RPG, but everything was in three dimensions. And then here comes Symphony of the Night, side scrolling. We're still two D. We still super got super fast action. It's in two dimensional. It's two two dimensions, but it's just enormous, mm-hmm. like a huge place to explore, which I never finished. And because I'm not good. And of course, it was also. <laughs> The trigger for the that the that generic that Metroidvania line, yeah. which is funny, but aside from just that term, believe it or not, at least unless I'm forgetting something, aside from Metroid at the time, I can't think of too many games that were 2D with interconnected maps. Like there were always stages, yeah, and yeah stuff, yeah, but it was yeah. rarely there's an interconnected map you can explore. There was like things like Legacy of the Wizard mm-hmm. and things like, but it was a non-common thing. Mm-hmm. So to see 2D interconnected maps in a new game. That was high profile. It was awesome. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's, it's in the Castlevania world, but it doesn't play like the the kind of, the, not clunky, but slower, plotting, more strategic, like of the, of the NES classic series. But I digress. We're going to start with some music that I think you're going to enjoy, Pernell, very much. This is from, well, I should probably pull up my list, right? <laughs> um, I'm going to start. No, okay. You might, you might Street enjoy this. Street Fighter 2! <laughs> so... Yeah, I'll say that. I did not play any Street Fighter music. I will, however, because this 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 these games played a big part in my life and my my uh, my my later my later teenage years, I guess. Um, this is from the King of Fighters '99 mm-hmm. for the Neo Geo. This is a track called Tears, and it is composed by Hideki Asanaka from the SNK Sound Team, and he is credited as Shavi, or I guess Shav or Shav. Shabazz. That's probably how they. That's the Japanese pronunciation. Shayev. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is tears.
listening to the track Tears. This is the theme of Kyo Kusanagi from The King of Fighters 99 for the Neo Geo, composed by Sha V. Um, or credited as Sha V. The composer is Hideki Asanaka. Now, this track gives me a lot of, like, I, I was at first, I was like, goofily as it may sound, it has a, it did remind me of Street Fighter 2, but also a bit <laughs> of Mega Man X. Like, I, yeah, I'm not quite sure if I'm, like, just, like, projecting the thought, mm-hmm. based on the thought of you picking Street Fighter originally, but I genuinely get those vibes from this. I think this section right here, because it's kind of a fakey guitar sound that, once I hear it, I'm like, oh, Mega Man X. Mega Man right? X. Mega Man X. Um, Cardi season. Yeah, but dog's, <laughs> dog's going nuts. Um, but yeah, no, so this was a time... I guess I was still working at the arcade and I was playing a lot of fighting games. Actually, all I was doing was playing fighting games. And I think that's all I was doing with my life at the time. And it, may, it was, I don't know if it was healthy. I don't think I was surrounding myself with the healthiest of people. I think you know that. But it was just, um, I was really, really into it. And uh, KOF 98 was what we were playing on uh, the Sega Dreamcast. That mm-hmm. was one of, that, that was not, I don't think it was a launch title, but it was really early in the launch of the Sega Dreamcast. And then when 99 came out the following year, I heard that it was at Chinatown Fair in uh, New York City. And so a a whole bunch of us, we just got up and just spent the day and and drove to New York City and found Chinatown Fair and found this game. And that to me is an interesting adventure because for those who aren't familiar with the labyrinthine nature of New York City... It's wild. If you're not from a big city initially and you just like kind of drop yourself into New York, it's insane. It may as well be an RPG dungeon. It was crazy trying to find this place. And in a time before, like really before Google Maps and for any of that stuff, before cell phones had that capability, we were just sort of like picking out on the map. Like we knew about where in Chinatown it was, but then we had to figure out how to get to Chinatown. And then we had to find the arcade. It was, we were asking people, we were walking down the street being like, hey, where's the, where's the arcade at? Where's this place at? And, and it, having been there myself, I nuts. can say it was like a literal hole in the wall. It was. So it does not stick out. It was incredible walking into that place for the first time. I, I mean, that was definitely, like when people talk about this arcade and like its status in the fighting game community and the arcade scene in general, like it makes, it, it makes sense because they had everything that was new. They had the people who went there were passionate about what they were playing, whether it was shoot 'em ups, whether it was fighting games, or even rhythm games later on in its history. Um, it was, but it was like it was so dark and dirty, and it, it could have been if it was like if the smoking was prohibited or permitted in, indoors. I could see it even be filled with cigar smoke oh, and like people drinking and stuff. Absolutely filled with like like cigarettes and whatever kind of other kind of smoke you would you would imagine. But I'll be honest, mm-hmm. as a person who doesn't smoke and never did. There was still something about those environments that I kind of liked. It was like this grimy, yeah, like element of like just walking. It's like you down for a game? Yes, yeah, I'm right. in for a game. I'm ready to win. It's just I don't know. It, it, yeah, it was, and it wasn't like there's something different about walking into a place like this, which was really like a classic arcade from its heyday, to, as to walking into maybe like a Dave and Buster's, like a Dave and Buster's, or like one of those like family entertainment centers, or like a bowling alley that hasn't been updated since like 1984 mm-hmm. and it's like disgusting mm-hmm. and you're like yeah, there's some there's something scary about a place like that you see like it's mainstream but it lacks a passion um yeah but like and also like it's dirty but like you can see like like maybe showbiz pizza or like that kind of like 
like those kinds of um, uh, um, like paintings and ephemera on the walls, but it's all dirty and it's been like left there forever. Yeah, uh, like uh, arcade uh, mall, uh, uh, arcades in the malls, and we used to go try to find DDR machines. It always felt like that. It felt sad. You yeah. walk in there and there's kids there, but it felt sad. It's like a it's like a tomb. Like Chinatown Fair yeah, was but- being run by someone who cared. Even mm-hmm. though I guess like we talked about earlier, like it, like it could have been like a dirty enough to have like cigar smoke mm-hmm. and stuff like the had the grime, but. Yeah. The people who ran the place cared about the product, right. so they kept the machines up to date. They kept them well maintained, mm-hmm. so you knew you were coming into an environment where the games you were playing were up, up to snuff. Yeah, and, the, and it attracted the players who knew what they were doing. And so, if you went there enough, then you were going to get better too. And so, the person's going to like a timeout, and you walk in there, and it's like to see a new game is almost yeah. lucky. Like, wait a minute, someone yeah. cared enough to bother. Yeah, like I was really devoting like a lot of time into trying to get better at these things, and and going to places like these arcades and having these experiences really enforced that within my bubble, within my circle, I thought I was good. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone's kind of experienced this in some way or heard of this kind of experience, but you think you're good because you can beat your friends, but then you go out someplace to where there's a competition or where there's other players, and they know something you don't, and it's like, oh, I am actually crap at these things. <laughs> I, I am no good. And I can say yeah. this too, because just, I just remembered something from my past, like in regards to like the arcade rant from before. Like, I can imagine there might be someone listening to this right now going, like, Well, I worked at arcades in the past and I love the heart art. Well, I got to say, you wouldn't be the person I'm referring to in this instance. And the good example would be back when I got in the Pump It Up, mm-hmm. it was at uh, Kahunaville, which was like a themed, ar- a family line of oh, arcades that's what I'm thinking and stuff. Of. When that was going down, like when that was, when that place was was winding down it was it was kind of grimy and creepy game work game works in south philly but here's the sad thing about that though that building is still i there. was friends not like just have a drink and hang out friends mm-hmm. but like he would come in we'd be like gab and have fun like the arcade attendant that worked with the guy would come in and maintain the machines mm-hmm. and we used to always talk like hey man we're trying to get you know updated pump versions can you fix the pads of the dog and he was like he was into it too like oh yeah i could totally do that or mm-hmm. if you can give me some info on what this version is and how much it would cost i could put you know, kick it up to my my superiors, and maybe we could do something. But the problem was, the superiors didn't care. They were like, the machines work. People were putting money in. Mm-hmm. Why are we updating anything? That just costs money. We don't need to spend. Yeah, it, there was a time when I when, when I was working at the arcades, like they were, like we were actively looking for newer stuff. When people said something was broken, we had technicians on staff, mm-hmm. and myself included. We would just fix stuff as they broke. But then it seemed that years and years later, the arcades that were still around, they didn't. It didn't matter anymore if things broke down. Yep. If it was just there, it was just. And if it was turned on, then it was essentially working. At the end of the week, they would collect coins or whatever from the machines, as long as it was still generating something. That's all it mattered. Then they, they assumed it was working. Whether all the people put a coin in the machine and then like it didn't work at all, it still counted as a coin. Yep. You know? and, and so the that, jump button doesn't work. Whatever, I'm yeah, playing it. Oh, that stuff really frustrated me. Like, uh, um, so, so, but the amount of work that goes into doing that stuff, though, like, it kind of makes sense that if the industry as a whole wasn't generating enough revenue to stay alive, mm-hmm. like, they wouldn't have that money to hire technicians to do it full time. Like, that's uh, true. Uh, the the barcade near us, which sadly is closed down due to COVID, mm-hmm. um, that guy could barely keep things going and he was able to fix stuff himself yeah it was just him and a couple maybe him and somebody else but like it was too much to keep track yeah there's a place in effort i don't know if they're gonna survive i hope they survive but that's all he does is he works on like on, on the on the circuit boards on the on the on, on the video units like incredible amount of detailed work i mean i don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna play out 
it's definitely a, a frustrating mm-hmm. time for like that 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 environment, mm-hmm. the arcade environment, and the, those are, areas where getting together is a requirement. Like there's no getting around it. Yeah, yeah. So, so this this was an influential piece for me because also King of Fighters 99 is when they changed their costuming and they look all modern. <laughs> now I've got zippers and chains. Yeah, I was I was into that stuff. That was cool. And the music was great too. It was, it was so unique. It wasn't like, this wasn't Capcom music. This was definitely SNK music. Oh yeah. It was really cool. Alright, so what's your first pick? Well, I'm going to be honest and at least to give people the advance notice that the tracks, not the tracks, but the games, you're going to hear me name the games and go, well, of course you'd say that, but <laughs> That's just the that's type of episode at. this is. That's what we're doing today. So this first track comes from the obvious. Well, actually, let's go with the first easy one. Go okay. with Super Mario Bros. 3. And this is the Skyland theme from Super Mario Bros. 3. And it's composed by Koji Kondo. Welcome back. You are listening to the Skyland map theme from the game Super Mario Bros. 3 on the NES, composed by Koji Kondo. And I swear, one of these days I'm going to just make a medley of every map theme because, despite how short they all are, mm. many of them are some of the best tracks the game actually has. Know, but let's, 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 let's just have a moment, just a moment, moment of silence for the opening percussion, because the rest of the track doesn't really change a whole lot. So it's, uh, I, I love it. I love classic NES games when they've got sampled sounds, like mm-hmm. like I, for, like Nintendo produced games. Because I feel like it was all Konami, it was all um, like Sunsoft doing sampled sounds. Mm-hmm. But this is in Super Mario Brothers, man. Here, here you go. There it is. <laughs> like the drum. <laughs> like that's all you get. <laughs> I yeah. love it. Now, honestly, like it's kind of cool and it's all right because. Off the top, maps aren't really, in this game at least, they're more so meant to be short trips. Like, you just go two nodes across and enter the next stage. But uh, every once in a while, you'd be the kid who would just let the thing loop and lap and just run indefinitely because it just clicks. Like, Winter Wonderland was another one that I really liked from this game. Um, But the idea of Mario 3, I can't fathom an episode where... If I'm focusing on my childhood, an episode where Mario 3 does not get referenced as being most influential because of just the, for a number of reasons, really. Um, but first was just the general pandemonium that the game generated. Yeah, I like, didn't even have a Nintendo, and like it was huge. It, it was, was enormous. Everyone talked about it. Everyone talked yeah. about it. It was in like all the kids' meal toys. There was tons of merch based around it. There was an entire movie produced where the hook for the movie was you can see five minutes of this game running throughout the two-hour runtime of the film. Like, it was big, and people were going to the movie just to see the game. They didn't even care about it. Would you say it was video Armageddon? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Mario Mania. Mario Mania is what it was. They yeah. did a hands across the world commercial for it, where it was just like kids chanting Mario, and they formed the face of Mario on the planet Earth. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And we had money. We didn't have a ton of money growing up. Mm-hmm. We had enough to get by, and we had our few games that we could play. And we didn't have any expectations of getting Mario Three because, quite frankly, you didn't think the money was there. But we talked about it like crazy. Nintendo Power released this issue that detailed it. And it's talking about here the maps for the first like two worlds, like Desert Land and Grassland. 
and I would just read that to the point where the pages got all freight and just beaten up. Mm. So one day, you know, my mom picks us up, my brother and I, from my Grammy's house. She used to babysit us while we while she was at work, and we got home from school. And when we get home, she had gone to the grocery store prior to picking us up. So we're just like a bunch of grocery bags in the car. And she goes, hey, um, would you guys be able to go out to the car, like go back to the car and bring the groceries in? And we're like, okay, sure, no problem. So we're picking up the bags and bag after bag after bag. And then we get to that one bag that seems a little different and not <laughs> quite grocery-like. And open it up. Boom, there's this orange, yellowish orange box sitting there. There's a raccoon man on the front. It's Mario 3, and my brother and I unilaterally freak the heck out. Now, keep in mind, my brother and I had very taste in, different tastes in video games for the most part, even back then. So for us both to be collectively excited for the same game mm-hmm. speaks volumes in and of itself. We ran in the house, hugged, kissed him up. Thank you, Then we ran upstairs, oh, so nice. plugged the card in, got to town, was obsessed with Mario 3. And... Aside, well, just the first part, like just the element of the fact that my mom was able to surprise us in such a way, like she went through the trouble. Because back then, games weren't particularly cheap either, like 50, 60, 50, 60 bucks in that currency. That was a lot of money. It was, yeah. So she bought that game for us when she didn't have a ton of money to be thrown Mm -hmm. around. And then when we were playing it, for that time period also, it gave us this weird impression of like just how awesome secret hunting in a game like this could be because yeah you had Mario 2 with the hit subcon dump into a to a tube to go to a warp and you had Mario 1 with running across the top of the screen to go to some pipes but none of that touched some of the crap that Mario 3 had you doing dropping into the background of the stage to get a whistle um some of the places you could go to get like secret pipe warp elements yeah secret elements on the map itself where you could go to find like a secret hammer brother to get this cool power up i feel but, like like the, the with the innovations of this game it, it wasn't just like how many seek like it wasn't just like what technological innovations could they do it was like how much they could fit into this game yeah even in uh, as, as playing it two player you can play versus mode against each other if you landed on the same spot yeah and we got addicted to doing that, that which was classic Mario Brothers like the, the original classic arcade game Mario Brothers which is so brilliant that they snuck that into the game and we got aggressive mm-hmm. like if you went to a level that someone else wanted to do and you finished it so that they couldn't go mm-hmm. back you better believe you were going to that Mario Brothers game yeah. and get stopped and, and also a Mario Brothers game where you had a world map and you can select the stage you want to go to next. Mm-hmm. Um, that that that's huge. Again, themed worlds, all the yeah different themes of the worlds. The fact that the game wasn't just side scrolling; it was full horizontal side scrolling. You can go backwards. Yep, which you couldn't do before. In Mario Two, you could, uh, but in Mario One, you could. In Mario Two, there was vertical scrolling, but the screen would have to um, actually jump up a scroll. You'd have to. It wasn't a full scroll. It was like a. It was from like it was from like level to level. Yeah. But this was full vertical scrolling, which I don't think was done on the Nintendo up to that point. Now you got so me that, wondering, but I think you may well be correct there because I don't remember yeah. any games prior to that where you could just like mm-hmm. go up. But you're right, like all of the extra secrets, all of the extra little bits that like they took care to add into the game, it's just it's a master piece of of gaming. And I genuinely and I say this all the time, but people like to tell me, you know, Mario World was like the pinnacle of like game design for platforms. Like I think Mario three was that. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Mario World had a more elaborate map, but Mario Three did the maps in a way that even though you didn't have like an entirely secret route you could take mm-hmm. 
you still has secret areas you can go to and yeah, find different paths you can do. It's fun as watching speedrunners now. Like they, they they select how to do their paths and they, they anticipate where like the the Hammer Brother battles, like extra battles, like in the game, like that's unheard of. Yeah, like yeah. and I stand to that belief. Like Mario Three hits both influential in my life mm. as far as like the games like the platforms I look into like hell even now if you were to say Pernell this new platform game came out or this heck this new adventure game came out my first thing is going to be where are the power ups <laughs> Mario 3 did that Mario 3 did that Mario right. 3 did that it wasn't, wasn't just the fire flower anymore you had the frog suit you had the tanuki suit you yeah. know, all that stuff and when Mario World came out it was like you get a cape I'm like what else it's like Yoshi I'm like where are the power ups it's yeah. just the cape <laughs> I feel like with World it was all about the Yoshi they were trying to create this whole new ecosystem ecosystem environment for Mario you know? mm-hmm. alright so yeah no, I, I'll stop ranting. No, I'll okay. be talking about Mario 3 all bloody day. No, we could. We absolutely could. I, yeah, you did a podcast on Mario, right? Yeah, on Broken Cartridges. The episode itself isn't out yet, but we did an episode specifically about Super Mario Brothers 1. Mm-hmm. And oh, we were one. like, how could we possibly talk an entire episode about just Super Mario Brothers 1 of all games? And we did. <laughs> we somehow pulled it off. And it actually felt pretty engaging because I was getting goofy about it. Well, if you want to know more about that Check out if, if you. I don't think you have Netflix, or if you do, but if, on Netflix there's a special called High Score, which is like the history of games. And the first episode is before it's like the Atari and um, pre NES era mm-hmm. in the arcades. So it's kind of like uh, um, uh, it kind of leads up to the uh, the video game crash of like the 80s. Okay. And then um, the second episode is all about how Nintendo picks it up, and it's their marketing strategy of how they kind of got themselves into the American market with Nintendo. And all about how they designed the systems, all about how they got people interested in Mario, like in department stores, by having people play the game in department stores and stuff. And that's how that was my introduction to. And that it stuff. makes sense too, because yeah. if I think back past Nintendo, even like other games, other game systems started doing like that's how the Philips CDI tried to get into people's homes. Mm-hmm. They had like I remember the boss guys. There was like a whole Philips CDI system set up in the front with a guy like you want to try the Philips yeah, exactly. CDI. Yeah, it was it was it was like uh, it was the kind of marketing of. Um, like, like not guerrilla marketing, but it was definitely like in your face. Like you need to see this. Nowadays, you're not going to see. I mean, they do have the visual, just the visual display, but you don't have a thing. I don't typically recall seeing to me like you want to play the new PS4. Yeah, Come exactly. on over and play. It's just yeah. like just I, buy. They used to have that at Best Buy, but like honestly, I remember at Best Buy they used to have like Guitar Hero and stuff set up, and I would just go there on lunch breaks, mm-hmm. and I would just play Guitar Hero and get really good. <laughs> I, think, I think that's still one of one of my later favorite memories. Like, and actually, if we ever did an influential episode where I focused on like my adult, my later life. That would likely be on her, but I remember going to like a game like Best Buy and they had Guitar Hero 3 set up. Mm. That was with my friend Tim. And I just took the guitar and picked Even Flow from Pearl Jam and just started railing it off like Virgo, like vocally, like in this sort of like, <laughs> like just getting into it. People were stopping and looking, and, and Tim was like, What are you doing? I'm like, This is fun. I can be stupid. I don't live in this state. I can be as dumb as I want. <laughs> no one knows me. No one knows me here. I'm going to yell and scream. That's funny. It was hilarious. Ugh. All right, so I'm going to take us back to 1998, maybe 99. Um, so I want to play the track from uh, one of my favorite puzzle games. Do your best Eddie Vedder. Ever. I'm going to play my first favorite <laughs> Best puzzle game. Here's your first moon. No. <laughs> this is a... Don't call me <laughs> PlayStation. Rimiko. Are you cheese the composer? This, <laughs> no, this is from the game, one of my favorite puzzle games ever. This is Bust a Move, uh, the fourth installment, Bust a Move 4. 
for the Sony PlayStation, and this is the theme of Tam Tam. There are, when you play versus mode in this game, there's only two themes. There's the theme for everybody else, and then there's the theme for Tam Tam. <laughs> Never understood um, that. In story mode, there's a few other songs where there's like a boss fight, there's different puzzle modes, like one or two, and then there's the theme for Tam Tam. <laughs> so, whatever we pick this character, it's like, it's just... It's just, almost like an event. It's because you needed a change, mm-hmm. because we played this so much. So this is the theme of Tam Tam from Bust a Move 4. Oh my god. I remember this part of that. <laughs> Let's cover that. There it is. Did it. Did it. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is um, from Bust a Move 4 for the Sony PlayStation, or also known as Puzzle Bobble 4. It's the theme of Tam Tam, composed by Rimiko Koryuchi. Oh my god. Yeah, this, this, this one. So, this goes back a little bit further. So, in 98? I think it was 98. 98 or the end of 98, uh, I went to visit my aunt, my uncle, my cousins that were living in London. And, um, of course, at the time, what I was doing, I was working in an arcade. So what did I do in London? I visited every arcade I could find. <laughs> and I discovered Bust a Move. It was just That's where you learned about in it? In the arcade, yeah. And I've never really played this game before, but it was really easy to understand. Um, I had the, the characters from um, Puzzle... Uh, uh, um, from Bubble Bobble. Bubble Bobble, thank you. Uh, from Bubble Bobble, the little dinosaurs. And it was just so much fun. And it was a versus game. It was really fun to play. So a lot of the bars that we went to had like little, um, had like these little, like, I, I, you don't see them in the States, but like they're like, t- they're like, they're little arcade units that sit on top of the bar where it's like a TV and like a little like control pad, but like it's designed to sit on top of a bar so that you can sit at a bar stool and play. Okay. And, and this was on a lot of our, our uh, bars that we went to. And I just played this like to death, you know. Just, just, just the legal drinking age in London, drinking Guinness, <laughs> playing Puzzle Bobble. Um, but yeah, and, and I just, I really fell in love with this game. And when I came back home, I discovered that uh, like versus puzzle games to me were just as entertaining as fighting games. And so the nights that we were doing um, like fighting games, we, used to, we would call it what we call it, like Fight Club or something. We would all get together and play in like people's uh, attics and stuff. And I would bring out Puzzle Bobble and some other games. I got super, super into it. 
Um, and I bought this one on the PlayStation, and I got my brother into it. I got my sister into it. I got my mom playing this game. Like we, we played this at home a lot because it's easy to understand, you know. And Shoot real, bubbles, make them pop. Yeah, it's just and there's some kind of there's, like, there's a little bit of physics to it. This one introduced. Um, Combos where I think like a chain reaction where you can make the bubble shoot back up. Yeah, yeah, the chain reactions, which were really, really interesting. Like a good, like I wish they would have brought that back into later versions of the game. Is I don't think they ever did, and if they did, I don't know how like where where it was hidden. But when uh, Christy and I started dating, and then later when we got married, we were playing a lot of like classic, some classic play, not a lot. We were playing some classic PlayStation games. I introduced this to her, and we just played this nonstop. And we were talking about this earlier today, where it was a time in our lives where we just, we weren't, like, we had jobs and we were, we were, we had a place to live and we're, but like the responsibility level wasn't so high. And so we felt it was just, it was just so much fun just to play this game a lot. And oh, yeah. we would, and then you were, and then like, yeah, and actually, I think that was at the same time I was introducing you to her and we played this a ton. All oh yeah, because I got it. I was like, wait a minute, I got I competition now? Let's yeah. go. This is so much fun. And, and it really is a very similar play style to that one game that you like um, on the, on, on, Magical on, Drop. On Neo Geo, yeah, Magical Drop. Uh, very similar as to that, but definitely more like uh, geometry based because you're bouncing bubbles off the walls and you're trying to get them in the right spot. This game, I will say, uh, I played this so much. So right. yeah, like for me, super. It means so much to me because it was introduction of like of the uh, the competition with puzzle games, and also like it was just it reminds me of like the early time dating with my wife. I can honestly yeah. say that it ties. A, I get a little bit of that in mind too, because like with oh, Puzzle Bobble the series, say, she was really good at this. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's actually really this is an this. interesting element to it because like one thing I like about Puzzle Bobble, and it comes across like in my life too, also related because of like Christy there, is that it had it was a kind of game where a lot of people who typically wouldn't play video games as a whole, let alone puzzle games, mm-hmm. could not only get into it, but they become surprisingly good at it, mm-hmm. like. Between like Christy would give a give like you give you a run for your money in this game, and I have a friend in Michigan who, for all intents and purposes, I could beat her in any freaking game I want. Her name is Leslie. Beat her in, like every game. Okay, weird brag, but okay. No, well, <laughs> thump, thump chest. <laughs> I'm just joking. I know, I know. I'm honestly just like I'm saying it because in a sense it's almost like me saying like time to time to cushion the blow because honestly I'm not even sure how true that is. She could probably take me out in a couple of games, but like when Puzzle Bobble hit the scene. Not only was she good at it, but she'd brag about it. Like, oh, yeah. She would come up to you and like, you can't beat me at Puzzle Bob. And I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> what is this? What is this madness? And we ended up playing one night at Anime Central all night. Like It was like going down to the game room. I can't remember if I was having a bad night or what. Because I remember just not feeling particularly great that mm-hmm. that period. But we hung out in that game room until the sun came up. Just head-to-head puzzle bobble, and she was beating the snot out of me. I will never tell her that to her face, but she was beating the <laughs> snot out of me. That's and funny. any win I could get, I felt proud. Yeah. Like I fought hard for this breadcrumb <laughs> of a victory. It was amazing. Oh my god! It's, and to this day, we trash talk about was it. That. Was it this version or was it another version? It was. I want to say it was the Saturn version. Mm. 
Because that's the one that you would typically find in uh, like a lot of game rooms. They'd be like, hey, this two-player Saturn. Because they had that classic digga 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 jingle that would play. Mm-hmm. There was no character choices, though. So there was no like counter patterns. It was just, here's some bubbles. You yeah, better clear them. Yeah, I think, I think it also was four-player on the Saturn. There was a, a N64 version that was four-player. Yeah, that was the four-player one. Yeah, um, which was really good. Uh, to have that, but again, the, the 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 this 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 one version of the game had chain reactions. It had versions of the game where it had a pulley system, and you had to balance the bubbles from left side to right side. So if you were trying to, shoot, oh, you're right. That was like an added thing for the game. That yeah, was you were trying to shoot bubbles. You have to like you have to like match three or whatever to to make them pop. But if you're if you missed or if you're trying to to add bubbles to to make matches on one side, it would start to drop and pull the other side around. It was just so clever, and then and the chain reactions added so much more strategy to the game. And you could turn it off and on. Mm-hmm. So as you were introducing someone to the game, you could be like, "This is the base game," and then this is all the crazy wackiness you could do. And for the record, um, I wish more games like because I mean, puzzle games aren't as common now unless it's on like a mobile device as of late for reasons I can't fathom. But I wish more puzzle games when they came out gave you those sorts of options. You can tweak the gameplay style yeah. to your choice. And like, I want to play with chains. I don't want to play with chains. Yeah, I'm. So, I don't know. I feel. I'm sure there's puzzle bobble or puzzle bobble type games on like mobile devices. But most of the the puzzle games you see on mobile devices are either like word games or they're match threes. Yeah. Which you just press the button to to match the colors. But um, I will say that later on in our relationship, Christy surprised me with a PS2. And that was I remember that actually. That was, that was deal. awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. And um and I was like, Oh, we'll get the new bust and move game for the PS two. I see there's a new one we were at, like what was it? Um Electronics Boutique or something. The one that the one that used to be or it's still there. GameStop, that's GameStop now. Um on two oh two. And we picked that up, and the characters were like were super cute. It was much more cartoony, like really dark lines around the characters. I loved those. That was the weird one where the cover was like the baby popping gum or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it got rid of all of these extra mechanics. The um, the music was a little different, and there weren't as many characters. This game blew me away with how many unlockable characters and people you could be in this game, and they were all doing the same thing, just shooting bubbles. Mm-hmm. But it was so cool how many characters. It was like a fighting game, how many characters you could play as. And this one, there was like six. You know, it was kind of sad. Yeah, and like, also the load time was stupid long. Mm-hmm. I remember that. See, now you want to go to home and try it again because, mm-hmm. like, I know I still have it in the house. I just remember all the characters were like very like graffiti, like like they weren't yeah, graffiti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was very like chunky lines. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I still have it in my um in my case when I was like when I was selling uh, my Dreamcast games. I think I, I I flipped by it and I'm like maybe one day I'll find the PS2 and plug it in. It's always worth it. And I'm always terrified of my PS2 just not working one day. Because people are talking about it lately. Like, yeah. my laser lens just broke. I'm like, don't you dare. These things are getting old, you know? And, and Never! And these discs, if you don't keep them in good environments, they're going to go too. Funny enough, that's been surprisingly effective. Like, uh, I was talking to Chris Baines uh, yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. He was asking, oh, two days ago. He was asking about, like, just discussing, like, like he's like, name a obscure Sega Dreamcast game. And I'm like... Okay, and of course I named a few, but then I was like, I need to go to my library to get the rest. I'm 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 getting old up here. Mm. So I went up to the library, pulled up in the binder, and I was like, these discs are still immaculate. Some <laughs> of these have been in here since the nineties. No scratches, no like you know, like the thing somebody can get like, the disc rot where it kinda of eats into certain yeah, no, areas. No, of no it. weird clouds of like, you know, um uh, yeah, rot or um rust. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a hundred percent immaculate. And I'm like, this is unexpected. Cause I remember <laughs> back in the day a lot of the talk was Putting the games in binders would kill them, mm. but somehow I mean, these are just doing. They're working again since the '90s. They're still holding strong over 20 years. Mm. So 
I'm not taking them out of that binder. Well, I mean, even if you even if your hardware like dies, at least you can use that media to run on emulation on our modern PCs because our modern PCs can emulate all of these or my, most of these systems now. And my PS, either my PS One, PS Two, or both, I can't remember. But one day, as a project, Mike and I sat down. I brought every game I owned down to his house, mm-hmm. and we imaged all of them and put them <laughs> on like hard drives. He has no one, kidding. and I have one. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Huh. So it's like, if we ever want to just create an emulation boss, like, well, here's Purnell's collection. Let's just dump it on the emulation that's station. A, that's, that's new. That is news that I did not... And that is new information. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, the, that's what it's all about, influential classics. Revelations yeah, and yeah. secrets. Yeah, this is Rhythm and Pixels. Revelations. All right. Um, all right. So, what's your next one? Well, now I have to pick this track because after the word choice we just had, I can't not. Yeah. This comes from Revelations <laughs> for the PlayStation One. It is entitled Dungeon Ice Castle, though I hate that they call it that. And it's called Hide Hide. It's by Hidehito Aoki. Welcome back. You are listening to the Dungeon Ice Castle theme. Well, let's just say the Ice Castle Dungeon theme. I don't care what the official name is. From the game Revelations Persona, composed by Hidehito Aoki. So this track plays in two places in the game. It plays in the school, but if you're on the Seabeck route of the game, it plays on the Inverted Worlds version of the school and if you on the snow queen quest it plays in the school when it's frozen over hence mm. ice castle 
because the school is frozen over because it's meant to become the new ice, the Snow Queen's castle. Anyway, <laughs> enough about that. Why in the heck am I talking about Revelations Persona as an influential classic or influential game to me as a whole? Because obviously this game isn't influential to like RPGs as a whole, I don't believe. Though it is the beginning of the Persona series and we know how that turned out. Bling, 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 bling. <laughs> um, but this one in itself wasn't even popular. It sold very poorly. Mm. Um, and it didn't even get a lot of coverage for that matter. But what did it mean to me? Well, up until this point, uh, I liked Earthbound a lot. Earthbound was a quirky little modern day RPG. It was on the Super Nintendo featuring kids on an adventure to save the world from aliens and paranormal whack a jew mm. Regulations Persona. <laughs> that's, that's officially on the uh, on the box. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Wackamajou. I wonder what the Wackamajou is going to look like in this game. <laughs> Along with the Dinglehopper and the Shmishmabobs. You know. But, uh, so, what the thing is with this game, it made it quick for me. It was like, well, first it was the imagery. When I went to the store to go to Electronics Boutique just to see what they had available to purchase one particular day, I saw this game that had like a little weird, like, stylish looking demon on the front title was Revelations, called the Revelation series, and it was Persona. And in the back of it, wasn't even very descriptive. The images that they used to describe the game, you know, the, the, the flair that makes you want to buy the game was very dark. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd say it was very poor marketing. It didn't look like a like an exciting disc. Exactly. It yeah. looked, actually looked just I remember, straight blank. Yeah, I remember when we were selling, were selling it at, a, at Electronics Boutique. But for some reason, the description of the game compelled me because it reminded me of like this, this modernism that I was craving in games. Mm-hmm. I started to realize, like, I would like to, because, you know, the idea is like you play these games, like all these fantasy games, and you're always like, if I was in the medieval times and yeah. I could cast magic and yeah, use this, a sword. This takes that, that kind of Tolkien, like, universe of like of dwarves and elves, and they live in forests and yeah. like castles. But like this, the, this the, was modern. Like, like in Earthbound, it's in a, it's in a modern world. But unlike with Earthbound, the thing that made this stand out to me and what drew me even more, which I'll get into in a minute. Actually, I'll get into that in a minute. So um, <laughs> so I would come in, in the store and I'd look at this game, but I couldn't quite place what the deal was with it. So I would ask the clerks. Clerks, I think Rob at the time was one of them, yeah. had, as you know, this was before you were working <laughs> Was there, it before actually. me? Yeah. Yeah. This is 96 or yeah, so. Yeah, that's probably just, just before. I went in there, I'm like, what the heck is this game? And they're like, I don't know what this is. It's just jank. It's just a game. So I put it back on the shelf, go back to work. Next day, I'd come back, look at it again. And just, I would keep coming back and look at this game, but since money was tight, I couldn't commit to the buck. Mm-hmm. So one day, I convinced the staff to actually hook up a PlayStation because they didn't have one. They hooked the whole system up and put the game in mm-hmm. just so I could see it. Because I was like, I need to know what the heck this is. There's no information about it out there. And I played it in the store. I played through the entire opening in the store. It took about an hour, but I did it. And I'm like, it hit me like a truck. Like, you're in this game. You start out in the school. These are all kids that are teenagers, like me at the time. And they are playing this really stupid, silly occult game. And while I didn't play silly occult games as a kid, mm-hmm. every kid, teenager and otherwise, had dumb games to play. Whether it was something as simple as spin the bottle or something as convoluted as, I don't know, you know, hide and punch or whatever. Like, or like, or like you, like you punch them. Like a Ouija board or yeah. something silly like that, right? Yeah, and yeah. the kids were doing that. And then when weird things started happening, they were going to drugstores and shop. And, hide and punch? Yeah, we literally played a game where it was hide and seek, but if you got caught, you punched you. Okay. So it was like, it just incentivized you to not get found because <laughs> it hurt <laughs> when you got found. Um, all right, gotcha. Yeah, I played weird games as a kid. Yeah, that's all right. Um, 
So we did that. And, uh, but like it, you go to malls, you like go to stores, mm. you would talk to people in their residences. And the, and the villains in the game weren't, you know, crazy demons. They were corporations. Mm. You know, you were stopping an evil corporation from doing stuff. And the powers in the game weren't magic spells per se, they were inner manifestations of your inner being. They were things that you could conjure up from within, and that gave you power. Mm. It was just all these elements of things that I wanted in a game that never existed up till that point. And it literally drove me from that point on for like pretty much most of the games I was seeking out to play in the future had to have some element like that. Like mm. I wanted a game that had modern modernism that talked about like adult problems or even late teen problems because one of the biggest hooks of Persona to mm. me, which doesn't even come up in a lot of the later games, was that if you went on the true route for the Seabeck route, the real prob the real antagonist was a demon that was brought on from the self-doubt of one of your classmates. She wanted to die. She was suicidal. She was mm. really sick. Um, and she was hospitalized. And the reason that they were even able to create this pseudo weird demon connecting world was because it was tied through her subconscious. Like you were actually exploring her subconscious mm. the whole game. So, it, I mean, it, so what you had was like this kind of crazy supernatural world built on the foundation of of, of reality, yeah, because of, of, of feelings and and drama that real teenagers and real people are going through. Yes, yeah. and like it's amazing because like one plot point towards the end was once you realize what's going on, mm. you realize the girl you've been traveling with the whole time mm. is actually a mental manifestation of the actual girl's world you're inside. It's like it's her ideal form. Right, like right. I wish I was fun and easygoing. I wish people thought I was great to be around. So this was the girl you hung out with. But the real girl was very depressed and angry and mm. bedridden. So you end up having to go to like the sea of her subconscious to convince her that she, her life was worth living. And that, well, not so much convince her, but she had to realize that for herself. Like, your life's worth living and we need your help to save everything. So at that point, the ideal fuses with the real and they kind of become her. Just uh. married. And then you end up going to fight the demon that was feeding off of her insecurities. Mm. And that's the final dungeon of the game. That's really cool. Like, none of the Persona games since then have pulled that mess up. I don't care. Nobody says. Mm. Like, would you go back? Would I go back and say that the play, the gameplay of Persona 1 was great? Eh, it got old. It's too slow now. Like, it's mm. hard for me to go back and enjoy it. But the world building and the narrative and the characters, I will always put them on a pedestal. And that is genuinely what has influenced my taste in gaming mm -hmm. from that age 20 plus years in the future to yeah, this day it really is 20 plus years um so yeah so going back to that time i was not interested in rpgs i watched my friends play through like final fantasies i've watched uh, my brother play through most of seven and i tried to pick up eight and i kind of got into it so i have like a soft spot for it but i never really played rpgs until this game and you know what i'm playing next so so my uh, my Is now it Dragon wife, Warrior, <laughs> yeah, Dragon Warrior. <laughs> um, she got me the PlayStation Two. It just surprised me with it. And two of the games that I bought were um, Greatest Hits, um, uh, uh, marked down Greatest Hits of Gran Turismo mm -hmm. and Final Fantasy X. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to start playing Final Fantasy X. But then once we started playing it together, it was just it became it was like. It just became like a it had a hold on us like no other game, and we really, really, really enjoyed it. And I know it's a joke that 
I talk about it all the time, but you know, I haven't played a lot of games. And as when it comes to, to RPGs, like I love the music of all of these games, but the truth is, I don't play like, any of them. Um, and I mean, I, and I'll do honestly, I like to tease you about FF10, but the reality yeah. is, I also know why you're so connected to it, which is why I'll poke at you, but you'll never hear me go, oh, come on, Rob, play a game. It's like, no, I'll just tease you because I, you picked I'll, I'll tell you what, though, because when I was replaying it on the remaster version, mm-hmm. like, I get the poking because it's like, you could be playing anything else. Anything else right now. You're playing this game again. But I needed I needed my happy place. I was in a, I was in a, I was in a state of mind. I was in a, I was in a, I was in a, I was in a, in a headspace where I really needed to be somewhere that made me happy and this game always always puts me there so um, i'm gonna play music from the hd remasters I, I really love the arranged music for this game and i think it came out really good um this is the makalania forest mm-hmm. so this is the this is the theme music um at the, not not in the town but like in the world as you're traveling through it um from final fantasy 10 the hd remaster for the playstation 4 it's composed and arranged by masashi hamasao Remember when washing your hands to sing the hymn of the faith twice to make sure that your hands are fully clean. <laughs> Zestfully clean, even, <laughs> some might say. Oh, man. I, I mean, this track is already looping, but it really feels like it's still building up to something, which really, I just, I really love this music. Um, this is the Makalania Forest music from Final Fantasy X. This is the HD remaster version, the arranged version for a PlayStation 4 composed and arranged by Masahashi uh, Hamatsu. And yeah, I just I just love this game. So we I can't remember. I think we started playing it and then put it down and then picked it back up again and it was just um the, the characters, the the arc that that Titus goes through. It's <laughs> tedious, tedious, tedious. Um, uh, the, the the battle system. I feel like everything is just wound together really tight. And one of the biggest, and we talked about this earlier today, but like I think one of the biggest um, criticisms that people have, like RPG players have for this game, is how linear it is. Mm-hmm. Like you, there's no, there's not a lot of backtracking. There's not a lot of exploration, and that's what I like about this game. I like 
that it's telling this really clear story. It gets a little convoluted towards the end. These things are a dream. These things are not a dream or whatever, but like it's, it's not, I mean, this is not Kingdom Hearts level of nonsense, right? This isn't like end of Final Fantasy VII nonsense. Like this is, um, it just tells a clear story from a human perspective, which I really appreciate. Like Titus's uh, relationship with his father uh-huh. and Yuna's relationship with her father and and what Yuna must do to save the world. And then also Waka's relationship with his religion and his worldview, you know, and that his brother was killed in the in the in the in the in the line of duty against this whole thing. Like it just it it solidifies his essentially like conservative Christian values. I genuinely feel like the characterization in this game doesn't get so, enough credit. It's it's really imp- I mean and then of course there's a lot of dumb side stories but his relationship with Lulu, which is weird because Lulu's relationship with his brother who passed away because yeah, they actually end up having a kid together, right? In the future one. So, like, they still kind of, like, break apart and do some, like, you know, RPG BS, like, Final Fantasy stuff to stories just to make it yeah. just to make it there. But, like, otherwise, it, there's so much going on. And the, the score to the entire game is sweeping. It's got a lot of, like, cool synth sounds. Um, and, yeah, and so the fact that we played through it and then played through it again and then played through it again... It's uh, it's just something that we really enjoyed together, you know, and um, and she loved it too. I loved it too because I, again, like I don't play a lot of RPGs, but this one, this one I'll do, and for good reason. Yeah, because like I'll be honest, like it's funny that uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen is another one that generally gets reviled in the community as a whole, but mm-hmm. it was one that I gravitated towards and actually completed. It was the first Final Fantasy game I completed since seven. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind, I've played them all, but 13 was the first I actually got to the yeah. end of and finished. You're close to the end of 10. I know you are. I am. Like, I, I got to the airship, mm-hmm. and I was like about to get the, the guy you pay money to as mm-hmm. an as an Aeon. Um, but I told him, I keep telling myself I'm going to start over and play the remaster mm-hmm. and see how I feel. Because, you know, I'm kind of lost in like what was happening at that point and what I was doing with the sphere grid. Yeah, I, do, I do wish they would have maybe added some quality of life stuff to speed up some of the battles and maybe like scaled some of the the leveling up in the game. Um, but like I nerfed myself in that game to the point where I wouldn't have noticed those changes anyway because like <laughs> if you boot my game up, I have like sphere level 99 for everybody, which means I wasn't spending sphere grid points. Shocker, I know. Yeah, I know, but then that probably made everything super long. I think Just maybe I think, put that work in. That's another thing is like I'm used to like pen and paper RPGs, which a lot of these like especially JRPGs are based on these American pen and paper RPGs of like these are your stats. Mm-hmm. This is your sword that's plus six. But in this game... All the swords aren't plus this or plus that. It's just, here's your sword. It's like, here's just a sword, and these are your base stats. And this sword might have like a, a fire effect, or might have, maybe it does slow on an enemy. But otherwise, you're just, mo- you're, you're, you have a grid, and you can choose whether to put, spend points somewhere on the grid to add abilities or to add to your base stats. And then my first couple playthroughs, honestly, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. It wasn't until the HD remaster I was really paying attention to the sphere grid. And I can tell you one mm-hmm. thing, though. It's like, really interesting. We were talking about this game in particular earlier, and we were talking about like the element. Actually, I guess I mean, what you just brought up, how you described it now, about how it's like a safe retreat game. You just come back to it when you want to feel yeah, comfortable. Yeah, I can tell you. Like, there's, I wanted to there's be some. That, I wanted to be in that world again. You know, like it was. It's just. But there's a genuine yeah. like connection to that too, because like I think about a lot when I play a lot of games. Like I jump between a lot of RPGs, and you might hear me generally say the more 
crazy the gameplay system, the better. I like to learn systems and get into mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But there's a downside to that, which is that if you put it down for a while and you want to come back and experience it again, you got to relearn a bunch of menus, figure out why this sword has like these weird stats that you wouldn't have put on there otherwise, but actually it was because you were in the middle of a project to build this super duper weapon <laughs> that you forgot about. So now this is just, oh, none of it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So to come back to it, if you're not starting from the beginning, mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, what the hell is this? It's like another, it's like a science project. You got to relearn the project. But something like this is like, I because again, even jokingly, I was like, yeah, I might start with Final Fantasy X. Let's be real. I really don't. If I booted that up again, I could, only thing I'd have to look into is where the last dungeon is, if I really wanted to, because I know how to build a sphere grade. It wouldn't be hard to figure out what I was trying to do with my characters because all most I would use a friend sphere to move somewhere. Yeah, that's I mean, about it. Okay, I'll be. I gotta tell you this though, your the 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 points that you use on the sphere grid maxes at ninety nine. You need well over ninety nine to do anything in game. Oh yeah. Well, once <laughs> I get to ninety nine, that's when I start spending them because I know I'm wasting time otherwise. Yeah. Okay. Good. So I'm not gonna waste the time. Trust me on that. Yeah. Um. um but like, I can backtrack and place what I needed to do. And the gameplay systems, aside from the alternate weapon, which the heck with those stupid things, um, <laughs> yeah. there's not a lot to relearn. So it really is like a safe bet to go in and just have Waka throwing volleyballs mm. at, or blitz balls at right. freaking Arakamex. Volley- they're volleyballs. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but with having a game that's so linear, um, it's really easy to go back to because you, it's it's like Mario. You know, you're just going to go right. Mm-hmm. Just hold the right button. You know, you're going you're gonna to go that direction. So this game, it's like, yeah, you're not, you can't really get lost lost too hard like too easily i mean it's hard to get lost mm-hmm. um, all right so we're running a little late here not late but like we're running longer than usual so let's get into your last track well gonna get we're gonna run a while when you get that nostalgic uh-oh. going uh-oh so i'm going to tie into this with an obvious pick well not too obvious but maybe so once you hear it so you pick from final fantasy 10 i'm picking from final fantasy 1 oh. very first game and i could have sworn we picked this for the show before might check in a second again just to be sure but Long story short, if we did pick from, if we didn't pick it in the past, this uh, is Matoya's Cave from Final Fantasy One by Nobuo Uematsu. And if I have, well, you'll be hearing something different than no, that. No, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think we played much from this original title. So, so fingers crossed. Okay. listening to the theme from Matoya's Cave, which means I didn't pick it in the past, from the game Final Fantasy 1, composed by Nobuo Uematsu. 
And real quick, one thing I want to note is that I think it's interesting that I did check back on the influential variant that we did with the Ways Lost composer a ways back this year, earlier this year, I think. The Ways Lost a ways back. Ways back. And it turns out that even with the scope of those two styles of episode and the, the way we described influentials, I only had one repeat game that I had chosen from, and I'm proud of that. Oh. I'm, I'm kicking butt. All right. But um, so Final Fantasy One is one that I think absolutely wholeheartedly belongs on this list for me and probably for the industry too, honestly. Um, because Final Fantasy is the first RPG that I can think of where I cared enough to stick with the genre as a whole. Mm. Like, I've played, I had played Dragon Warrior 1 and 2 by this point. And I'm sure I've played a couple of other like, real rinky-dink ones that just don't come to mind anymore. I'm just being blunt about it. Um, mm-hmm. But Final Fantasy worked for reasons I'm not even quite sure of. Because originally, I probably told this story like four <laughs> years ago on the show, but that's how long we've been running, baby. We've been going a while. Um, for Christmas one year, I told my father, who generally hated video games as a whole, that I wanted Final Fantasy Adventure. I had to have Final Fantasy Adventure for Christmas. Final Fantasy Adventure, for those who don't know, was actually a game in the Saiken Densetsu series. It was actually the game before oh, Secret of Mana. That was on the Game Boy. Yes, yeah. it was on the Game Boy. It was before Secret of Mana, and it was an action-adventure game. My dad bought me Final Fantasy on the NES instead. Oh, I'm thinking of Final Fantasy Legends. You know, those, were, those were saga games. Saga. Those were saga games. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And so he bought me Final Fantasy 1 on the NES, which was not like that at all. It was a turn-based battle game, RPG, with guys going from right to uh, living on one side of the screen, your party on the right side of the screen, you know, the thing where they, they were divided by an entire freaking wall. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck is this garbage? I didn't want this <laughs> for Christmas. But at the same time, the fact that my dad bought me anything game-related that was at full price, mind you, was a testament to something because he never did that. He hated video games in that sense. After after like the Atari and Coleco, he was done with them. Mm-hmm. So it was like, here's his full price game, not bargain Ben Woolworth. Merry Christmas. And I'm like, well, I can't tell him I don't like it. So now I got to try to enjoy it. So I put the game in. I picked my party. I tried to go well around it. I had the fighter, white mage, black mage, and a black belt. That was what I picked. And I'm planning to go on the quest, get these stank crystals, well, I- kid. And I go to the- had a team that like would actually work. Oh, I was thinking, baby. I wasn't like <laughs> four fighters. Yeah. Um, but All like white mages. <laughs> oh god, people did that as like a psycho challenge oh, and succeeded. I don't know why. Crazy, especially how gay game work with having to purchase your magic. That's just a time sink. Mm-hmm. But uh, I got into this element of the game where, for some reason, I think it was the first time I bought a sword that was blue. It was a blue sword I had, like a it was like a coral sword or something, and. <laughs> I started to feel this connection to the fact that I attack a guy, I see a number, Mm -hmm. he might die, I level up, I attack the guy, the number is bigger! I can see bigger and bigger numbers! Everything was just calculations of various elements. Mm -hmm. This spell does this much damage, this spell heals this much damage. If I put this armor on, this calculation decreases by 5%, which now means I take this much less numeric damage. So it was all like clicking in your head. All the math! I was obsessed with the math! 
I can't understand Rob, what it was. It's the math. It's the math. The like, math, Rob. A lot of people say RPGs were mm. about the plot and stuff. No, it's the math. And it's the math. Because Final Fantasy 1's plot was very hollow. It really was. It was literally, there's a Garland guy. You beat him. He comes back later as chaos. protecting the crystals that yeah. were saving the world. Get them crystals for some reason. Yeah, something like that. Also, pirates in a town that are jerks. You know, mm. but I barely care about any of it. I just wanted to see bigger numbers, which mm-hmm. is probably why Disgaea clicks for me so well, because Disgaea was like, you like numbers, kid? Well, we just removed the limiter yeah. on, the, on the decimal Yeah, I mean, this, this was definitely Squaresoft's, like, their response to Dragon Warriors, the, the success of Dragon Warrior, and this was their final fantasy. Yeah, literally. literally. For those literally. who don't know, if mm-hmm. this game failed, Square would have died. Yeah, that This was their it. last second. Before, this what they had, like, Rad Racer, mm-hmm. King's Knight. There was a number of games they had that just didn't take off. People didn't talk about them. They weren't particularly written about. But they went all in on this game that was kind of just mimicking what they were seeing in Dragon Warrior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I only think it was... I wanted wanted that to double check, but I actually think they were tying into... to to straight up this D&D. It could have been that, too. Um, There's... (laughs) Some people much smarter than me probably know more about this, but there's and me because I'm speculating. There, but there's a huge there's a huge connection between again American like pen and paper Dungeons and Dragons RPGs and JRPGs like like RPGs made in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but the stats and the attack and constitution and wisdom, all those like little stats and 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 all of those things like you see them all the time. In classic JRPGs, even modern JRPGs, it's all about the numbers. Yeah, it's all yeah. numbers. And stat um, And then also attacking and having like a random value determine what you're doing. Like it's essentially a dice roll. Mm-hmm. That's like, why when people, yeah. when you cast spells that just don't quite want to take, people always say, I'm getting like, it's like RNG, I'm getting screwed by RNG. Yeah. Random it, number generator. Yeah, you're rolling dice. Those are, those are your random numbers right there. And D20. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny when you actually look into like calculations of random numbers, like just the very different ways you can even do that. Because like you can do like rands of different like seeds, and that's always a predetermined number of like right. randomization, quote unquote. But then you can do like a computation that randomizes the randomization of the seed, and now you're like, I don't know what the heck I'm getting anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Computers aren't going to automatically develop a random number. It has to have like a seed number to generate from that number. So that's always something. And a lot of times, like especially modern games, I think they're using like the clock. Mm-hmm. because it's like a random like microsecond that you're starting the game on you know like that'll give you the seed um, but sometimes and, and especially in roguelikes like the randomness of the games like it'll remember the seed so that you can have multiple people play the same randomly generated stage at the same time and it's funny you said because like I'm I can't think of like any particular games that did this so don't quote me on it but I know that I've played games where this happens where like you might have a game where you play it and you fight a boss and you're like crap he's beating the tar out of me screw mm-hmm. I'm gonna start over and then you you go back to your previous save and you go in and do the same actions and you get the same results. Like you always miss with this attack and he always crits you with this attack. Mm-hmm. You're like, why is that? It's because it's running off of a seed that was pre-generated before you even saved the game. Yeah, it, you're already there. You're already in it. So you gotta you gotta grind, I guess. This game's mm-hmm. all about grinding. Yes, this it this is. one is all about grinding. All right, so we're gonna grind in on to a halt of the show because we're going into the part of the show we call the bonus round. Bonus round, bonus round, bonus round. Ooh, that's funny. Let's get oh, down. Yeah. Don't stop, don't stop. Bonus round. Don't stop, don't stop. Let's bonus go. round. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Vedder. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Eddie Vedder version. Uh, the bonus round is the part of the show where we play covers and remixes and arrangements on our theme. 
And for the bonus round, I am going to play a track uh, remixed from Zelda Link's Awakening for the Nintendo Game Boy. Oh, right. This is the track Tal Tal Heights, and it's remixed by Vector U, Q Mu, and Note Block. Oh, I like Note Block. Yeah, Note Block's like really Mario good. 3. Yeah, Note Block and uh, Q Mu, I'm really, really big fans of. So this is a really pretty sweet remix. the Telltale Heights remix by Vector U, Q Mew, and Note Block. 
<laughs> and um, I picked this because uh, Link's Awakening for the Game Boy was my first Zelda game. And um, actually my only Zelda game for a long time. Really? Yeah, and and I got into it for a little while when I was younger, but it wasn't until like we would go on these long car trips and I would just play it nonstop like in the back seat, hanging on to as much sunlight as I could through the, uh, through the window. Mm-hmm. And there was one day... I think we were driving up to New York. We were camping or something. And I was, no, we were going to visit my grandpa um, up in PA, um, further out in PA, uh, Carlisle. And I was, I was discovering all of the side quests you could do where you had to like go and like, like you had to find this item to give to this person who gave you this item to give to this person. Oh, that blasted quest. It started with the Yoshi doll, I think. Yeah, yeah, the Yoshi doll. Like we would go down the river and I had no idea any of this existed in the game. I had played this a ton, never really like got to the end of it, but I'd stopped the main quests because I was suddenly just doing this, this weird side quest and it just kept going and going and it didn't really tell me where to go next. I just kept running into it and um, that really just held my imagination of like, how much there was to do in these little games, you know? Yeah, Link's um, Awakening is really interesting. It's disturbing in its own way too, because like it's disturbing. Well, not 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 <laughs> your story. I mean, like just the game, the idea, which how you described it, based on something that came up recently, where like they recently released a remake of it on the Switch. Right? Yeah, yeah. And they didn't add anything. They didn't take anything out. They kind of they they updated like they they, they made the graphics like kind of like interesting. Right? It was like yeah, it looks a mo- it looks really nice, really modern, like, right? very yeah. modern, but. What you come to realize, if you come back at it with an adult mindset and a familiarity of what the game is like and how it plays, mm-hmm. it's ridiculously short. Oh, that it? includes <sighs> doing all the trades. Oh my god, and everything it ever to do all that stuff. Agree. Like, in fact, I'm trying to remember what element, whether it was the trade or something mm-hmm. else, but it irked me because the original game's design, um, the way you would get the best sword was by way of the secret seashell quest, mm. which was you could, every secret seashell, take them to the seashell house and you put them in this like calculator and when it gets to the top, you'd get the sword. But um, the thing that they don't tell you is that for every five, I think it is that you got, if you put them into the seashell house, it would give you a seashell. But if you get one more than that, you don't get it. And you need those reward seashells <laughs> to get the max amount of seashells to get the sword. So if you don't come back to that house after every five, you're just not going to get it. Oh man, you're collecting seashells for nothing, <laughs> literally nothing. Oh man, what a weird mechanic! Like what a weird like like addition subtraction like. And of course, that stuff isn't spelled out to you. Not even in the least. Not even you're just like, oh, I got this, and I can do this, and now it's all broken. Now, like, I- <laughs> like a part of me wants to say that there was probably like a little notch on the dial that just says, like, you know, like you know, like you typically hit a right, hammer right, and it right. goes up. Like maybe someone said like, you can get something here, but even then, you a kid would think if I get more than that, I should still get the reward because I'm going past it. Yeah, but. No, nope, you just don't get it. It was such a good game, though, and, and clearly it was based off of um, Link's Awakening. Um, like the game, the game, like art style and everything looked like Link's Awakening. Why well, is Link's Awakening? I'm sorry. Um, no, this is what we play. This, this is Link's uh, Awakening is tall, tall. Link to the past. Link to the past. I guess probably yeah, the past. Yeah. yeah, it was meant to be like a, a a micro version of it because you know capitalize on the popularity, but now it's on your Game Boy. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, and it's much shorter. Clearly, but man, when I played, it, I had no idea. It's, um, it's such a good and though. Like, and, and to this day, like, I think that Link's Awakening and then Oracle Seasons and Ages mm-hmm. are probably some of the best Zelda games because most, most specifically, Seasons and Ages 
had that Capcom influence, and like the dungeon items were pretty weird. Mm. Uh, some of the, like the items that you would use to traverse the world got weird, like the Rod of Seasons, and then in Link's Awakening you had that cool tower. You were, like had to break the pillars, and you made the entire tower come <laughs> down. Like stuff that, like that, that. That's a game I should go back and, and try to play through. I feel like I got pretty far, but then for whatever reason, I stopped. At this point in life, you should because yeah, again, it's, it's quick. It's yeah for for us now. Yeah, it's quick and just walkthroughs and people know all about it. So I can probably find my way through pretty easily. Oh yeah, but it's it's amazing. All right, so what's your what's your track? So this one's gonna probably seem obvious to anybody when I say it, but so be it. Um, this is a remix from E's book two. Though you can type Easebook One into because again I played it on the Turbo CD, mm-hmm. which is that was the title. Um, and this track is the Campanile of Lane HRHM arrangement, and it was arranged by Nasty Children. <laughs> All right, let's take a listen.
rings up for ominous bells. Mm. Bell tolling, baby. For whom the ease tolls. <laughs> no! <laughs> this is the Campanile of Lane HR HM arrangement from Ease Book 1 and 2, composed by Nasty Children, or arranged by Nasty Children. This is a name it's that just feels by, weird to say. It's arranged by the nasty children. There's some nasty kids. It's actually, uh, you find that on the official Falcom Music channel on YouTube. Which shocked the tar out of me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't realize that they asked he would host, like, remixes and covers there. But there we are. <laughs> I gotta love the Falcom Music channel. It's just gold. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to, I feel like this is, like, almost one of the most obvious things to put on the show. But, yeah, Ease is clearly one of the most influential games for me in the sense of just wanting like normally back then when a game got held off for me and I had to resume it later it was Mm. usually more about just general game progression like I want to get cool new powers I want to upgrade the guy I almost beat Dr. Wily but now I got to stop playing Dr. Wily (laughs) Mega Man I'm Elma Fudd and I'm your professor. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the thing about Ease though was like this is probably the first one where I played it and I had to stop playing it on account of family obligations. And I didn't care. It wasn't about the powers at this point, it was mm-hmm. about the narrative. Like I became enthralled with the world of Ease because. Uh, Contrary to what people may understand about the franchise, the original two games was actually a relation and about the country of Ease. Mm. Ease is a place, not just the title of a franchise. It's not just a state of mind. (laughs) It's a a locale, baby. (laughs) And um, you are, you're Adol, and you're pretty much helping out all these different people, but at the same time, you're also fulfilling a quest to reach the continent Mm. of Ease, which is under siege by a demon army, and you are ultimately trying to destroy the Black Pearl, which is powering the Demon Army, which will then cast Ease back to the ground, whereas this currently is a floating continent. Um, there's a particular element of the game where you are trying to save the, say, the descendants of the great sages mm-hmm. from the Demon Army, because part of their prophecy to become, you know, to revive the Dark Demon Darm or whatnot is uh, the murder of all the descendants of this sage line and you're in a particular quest to rescue the final um, descendant who is currently locked up in a bell tower though correction i just realized i don't think you even know at the time that she's a descendant you just know that they're going to sacrifice this girl from this town Mm -hmm. as a general sacrifice so you are running through this bell tower with the goal being to reach the top and save her prior to execution and as you're running up there are no monsters to fight Nothing. It's just this tense music playing hmm. and clouds swirling in the background as you ascend stairs, stairs, stairs. It's a weird element of design when you think about it. like an action RPG where the dungeon has no monsters. But in it's, it. it's this music. It's this music. Oh, so that's interesting. Unarranged, so, of course. But so it's almost like it's um, it's it's wanting you to hear this music to write to raise the tension, but it extends the dungeon without any battles, mm-hmm. so that it can you, you maybe you feel it that much more. That that's, I think it works. I think you're yeah. accurate because in addition to the run, mm-hmm. every once in a while the game will actually stop and tell you the bell rung because you're waiting for the like five oh, rings. Right. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So when you get to the top, the vi- one of the villains shows up and he's like, "Hey, way to try to get up here and everything," <laughs> in a more ominous tone, of course. And then he's like, "But mm-hmm. you can't do it. You are going to fail." And the bell's going to ring, and that's it. So the oh. bell rings, the girl dies, 
And at this point, my dad's like, yeah, I go, Bert, get downstairs. I'm like, I don't want to go. I just failed at saving the girl. I want to know what's going to happen next. Demon's coming I, back. Gotta go to I go, Gotta go to I go, Bert, get you, put your, you know I was back in this, like, got one more year, put your pants on and get downstairs with some shoes. If you don't, she behind. I'm like, yeah. crap, I got to turn off. So I'm all sad out in the snow at I Goldberg getting boots. And all I can think of is, what's going to happen when I get home? She's dead. And you know, the Demon King is back. I want to know where the game's going to go. I want to know. I was like 12 or something Man, when this happened. Like, that, that's that's going to mess your brain up. I was, a kid. I was angry. Like, yeah. Where am I going to go? What's going to happen <laughs> next? But I, like, I was so enthralled by the narrative. And to this day also, when people ask me, like, you know, narrative that drew you in the most, I always go back to Ease 1 and 2. Always. It's just perfect in that regard. So, like, I think this classifies as, like, one of my most influential or most influential to me games. Mm. It's hand, hands down. I'll go into detail more if you ever want to know. You can always call in and write. I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that that's... For um for more information about I Goldberg and other uh, sporting goods stores that don't exist anymore, um, <laughs> go to rhythmandpixels.com. We're gonna have links to all of our uh, remix artists, Bandcamps, and SoundClouds, and everywhere you can go, get this music and support the artists and purchase boots. <laughs> All right, thank you for joining us on episode 24-8 of Rhythm and Pixels. These are the games that influenced us personally, not you. Not that guy over there. Not him, not the person in the corner who's been staring at me. That's a ghost. <laughs> um, no, these are our influence, influential games. These are, these are the, games that, the games that made us. Now, honestly, at this point, short of us doing one more variant of like influential games from our adult years, because I could go with that. <laughs> Influential classics is done. My my work, yeah, I think so. I think these are these are my uh, my young adult influential classics. Because <laughs> all of mine, I kept to mm. below. Like these were all games I played before I was like fifteen or so. Like yeah. I was younger. Yeah, my mine were all like after I was maybe seventeen or eighteen. Our uh, correction to take that back. Mm-hmm. Persona was sixteen. But oh right, right, right. I keep forgetting how old that game is. Sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been it's a been while. Really good. Um, so, do you have any idea what we want to do for our our live streamed episode? I still didn't think about it. Crap, I don't know how. Oh, I yeah, we'll, we'll we'll post about it um, on online somewhere, and then we'll talk about it on the next episode. Our next episode is with um, games audio producer Chell Wong. All right, we're gonna have a good time with them, and we're gonna talk about. I, they've got some crazy ideas for a topic. We were like, I I was <laughs> running with the idea like anything goes. Anything goes martial arts piloting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And Shell was like, pilots and stuff. <laughs> so I don't know, but it's going to be some variant of those two. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be fun. It'll be, it's always a good time. So uh, so look out for that episode coming up. Um, but if you have any um, track suggestions or topic suggestions, or if you want to talk about uh, your own influential tracks, we'd love to hear about it. And the best way to get a hold of us is by email. Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. And... If you would like more information about our show, a full track listing from all of our episodes and access to everything else that we're doing. Um, I mean, this is access to all of our first episodes too, which I don't think exist on iTunes or Spotify. So there's the only way to get them is through the website. Rhythmandpixels.com. And you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. It's Rhythm and Pixels, all one word. Usually we have a, a group on Facebook called the Rhythm and Pixels Chat. It's just us kind of just hanging out and talking. 
We have a Discord server uh, rhythm, for Rhythm and Pixels. You get it on the website. There's a link right there. You can join right up. And there's a bunch of people talking about games and game music and life. All I, that's happening there. I had an idea for episode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just clicked. Don't know why. Um, evening. Well, the general topic will be solstice. Okay. But, uh, of course, it could be, like, the tracks could be variants of, like, night tracks or night you know, track. darkness tracks. <laughs> Just, like, because, you know, obviously with solstice, solstice represents, us, like, you know, a shift where we get less daylight. You know, because you know, oh, evening yeah, kicks yeah. in quicker. So, you can go nuts with that. Again, like, darkness, evening, night. Gotcha, yeah. Sleeping, can, all of that. We can celebrate the solstice together for now. That's right. Make it fun. <laughs> yeah. Make it slumber. Oh, and don't forget we have our radio station on YouTube. Twenty, It's the 24-7, uh, 8-bit, and 16-bit radio stream. Um, so go check that out. YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. And, um, yeah, that's it. And if you want to support the show, just tell people about it. You can post about it, share it on Facebook or to your family. Um, you can make T-shirts out of us. Burn it into your lawn. Yeah, make it, get, get tattoos. Tattoos of our faces. Please do. On your body. That's right. Where, well, one where I'm wearing shades. Yeah, and then get outside and move your body. <laughs> work body, work body. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. Um, and there you get access to prequel episodes once a week. You get access to a live stream recording uh, once a month. Um, you get um, you can also get little extras for the YouTube radio station. And then we also like to say hi to you at the end of every episode. Um, and so we'd like to thank that Nick Walker and the last weekend, Mike Myers, Davy Cakes, Bedroth of the VGM Very Good Music Podcast, who was on last week's episode, Justin Schneider. Got it! From Zivijim Radio. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Sonic Medley, Taco, Harold Howard, Dave Taylor, Reinhardt Selkova, Andreas Milberg, Dan Loughton, Phantom Jest, Steve Miller, The Autistic Gamer 89, Cameron Worma, Christopher Senstrom, Bobby Arson from One Up Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, Carlos from the Heroes 3 podcast, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound version VGM podcast, and Brian Pitt. So thank you all very much for your continued support of our little show. Thank you very much. And worth mentioning, though, mm-hmm. I got to look at the calendar. We do have a good number of submissions for the contest. So at this point, now it's just a matter of choosing the time mm-hmm. to do the episode and I already have an idea of how the episode will play out, so that'll be cool. I'll tell Rob ah, about right. it after this because I don't want to say it on the show proper. Okay. Um, but I think it'll be a cool element. And then, of course, during the episode, we'll announce who wins the cool garb. Okay. We'll probably do that after our live stream show, which I think is good because that's kind of like the announcement of the winner. Okay. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to the show, Rhythm and Pixels. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm Pernell. Have a great week. And remember... Kind of like how we just mentioned in the show, and I think we even had a Patreon episode that kind of ties into it too, but games that mean much to you or are influential to you are personally yours and yours alone. Don't let anyone tell you that a game that is inspiring and influential to you is a joke or a terrible game because in that regard, at least, their opinion doesn't matter. All that matters is that the game does what it needed to do for you at the time that made it influential in the first place. Now, if you want to talk about historical or industrial for the industry and whatnot, that's another thing. Yeah, you can get vicious and tooth and nail on that. That's how it's supposed to be. But when it comes to personal influence, no one holds domain over that. That's your choice, your decision. And that goes for a lot of other things in life, too, to that matter, honestly. So it's all about personal, personal feelings. 
embrace them and be content with them.